0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never really thought about tools until I bought a house in the suburbs. It's like this weird homeowner test if I need a tool for a project and don't have it. And my neighbor, Ted, loves to give me that look when I ask to borrow a pole saw. A year ago, I didn't even know pole saws existed. And now I gotta borrow one from Ted? What is happening?
0: Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Some facts. Get you some facts
3: right here.
2: Get you some facts.
3: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the song facts podcast my name is Corey o'flanagan and i am your host as always we are excited to walk hand in hand with the songfacts.com website as well as pantheonpodcast.com and the pantheon podcast network today man am i excited about this one i had so much fun talking to this guy His name is Kirk Hamilton, and he is the host of a podcast called Strong Songs, which if you're not listening to and you love music, you should definitely go and check out. Kirk has a vast history of music, learning all things theory. He went to college for music, so he just has such an amazing array of information and just gives these amazing analysis of these songs And it's just an incredible thing to take some of your favorite songs that you've listened to for years and years and have them broken down and layered out and just understanding why they make you feel the way you feel, why all the sounds that are in them work. He's amazing at what he does. I had so much fun talking to him. We get into all sorts of things, including a dabble into some video game music, which some of you might enjoy. So please enjoy Kirk Hamilton. All right, well, we are here with Kirk Hamilton of the Strong Songs podcast. Kirk, thanks so much for being with us. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Just wonderful. Thank you. Uh, As I said, kind of before we got warmed up into this, I'm just super excited to be talking to you. I'm such a huge fan of your show and and just what you're doing. So um, do you give anyone who's listening who hasn't heard of the podcast
0: Strong Songs, give us an idea of how it came to be. Sure. So I've, you know, always loved talking about music. I was a music teacher for many years out of school. I went to school and studied jazz saxophone and was kind of in San Francisco uh, in the Bay Area playing jazz and teaching, kind of got more into teaching and classroom teaching. I directed a jazz band at a high school for a while, which was really fun. And it was all kind of uh, like I didn't commit to the life of a teacher just because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was at a private school. I could just kind of do that while also gigging. I didn't need to get a certification or anything. And as a result, I found that I really liked teaching, but I was able to keep making music as well and kind of have it be a balanced part of my life. Yeah. And then I started writing and I fell into this job writing about video games for about eight years. That was a sort of whole separate career and got away from music Hmm. with the understanding, I think with myself, that I'd always come back to it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, at some point I was like, all right, writing about video games is fun, but it's not my true calling. It's not my favorite thing. And it made me kind of realize how much I valued teaching and how much I missed teaching music. So I wanted to get back to it, but I didn't want to get into this sort of, it's a lot of repetitive, or it's a lot of grind, kind of doing a lot of just private lesson teaching. You have to, it takes up a big part of your schedule. You have to Mm -hmm. really work with people. There's a ton of work there. And I was like, what's a way that I could teach music that doesn't require that kind of work, you know, as much (laughs) as I do like doing that kind of work. So I was a podcaster um, in the video game job. I did a video game podcast. I was getting more and more into it and realizing that this format was really good for explaining music and for sharing music with people. Okay. Um, on the video game podcast that I did at Kotaku, which is a gaming website I used to work at, at the end of every episode, I started doing a thing called Kirk's Music Pick. And I would just recommend some music to the listeners because you know, they weren't really there for music, so it was kind of at the end. And I kind of found that they were getting longer and longer, those segments, and yeah. I would be, because I, I edited the show as well, and I would find myself just sort of being like, Okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and overdub some, and I'm gonna be like, okay, you really <laughs> gotta listen to this scale that he plays here, <laughs> you know, and kind of, sort of like breaking it down, and I'm realizing, okay, the music fix section was like four or five minutes long on this when it's supposed to just me be me going, you know, like check out this cool whatever yeah, yeah. Zeppelin B side, <laughs> you just keep pointing um, it on it, right? So I was kind of doing more analysis, and then I'd been talking with my co-host uh, Jason about uh Toto's Africa that song and he kept being yeah. like you should explain why Toto's Africa is good. And <laughs> I decided I was like, you know, I could do just a standalone podcast that's sort of explaining why songs are good and how they work and I think that could be something that would sort of take a lot of my skills and combine them. Yeah. So I made that episode, people really liked it and I you know, I I launched that as Strong Songs right off the bat just thinking, okay, I think I think people are going to be into this. So We'll kind of put this out. I think I put it on um, SoundCloud first just to see if people liked it, but I was already kind of planning to launch a show. Uh And then from there, just started making strong songs. And then, you know, I left Kotaku a little bit after that, started a strong songs Patreon a little after that. So now the show is like an income source for me, which is important because it's a lot more work now than it was when I started. And it's become a pretty involved thing that a lot of people listen to and that I'm really proud of and that I love doing.
3: Yeah, well, you should be because it, it's just phenomenal. If you love oh, thanks, if you love music and you, you the way that I see it is that you just, um, from the very beginning, and I think I told you that the first one that I listened to was Paranoid Android, but then mm-hmm. I was like, I'm in. Let me go back to the beginning. <laughs> so I listened to Toto's Africa. And the thing that just registered with me is that when you're talking, and I think that people can hear it now and I can see it finally, but you're smiling as you're talking. You can just tell <laughs> I'm a smiler. this is just your, this is just it for you. So is this just, would you describe this as your dream job?
0: You know? Yeah. I mean, I think that it kind of is like, I, I, I think that there's a, a balance that I'm getting near to hitting that I've kind of had my eye on for most of my adult life, <laughs> which is a sort of a mix of creating and teaching and learning uh-huh. And I've been writing all this music, my God, I'm like working on stuff. And like I take on projects to do for other people. But I'm really trying to limit that just because I I had this album I've got to release, like I need to be creating a little bit more music. And I'm setting up this whole live streaming looping thing. Like I want to get out there and play more. Obviously, there's no gigs happening right now. And that was a really cool outlet was just playing in local bands, getting my saxophone out. That's my main instrument and just going and whatever, mm-hmm. being in a horn section for somebody, but I can't even do that right now. So <laughs> I would say that's missing. But yeah, my dream, it's not quite a dream job, but I do think a lot about balance and about, um, you know, the, the, ba- like a good, a balanced life. I think that happiness comes from balance and it's never something that you fully achieve, right? Like, yeah. you're never just at balance. Like, even if, even if you're standing steadily on your two feet, you're always keeping your balance a little bit, right? Absolutely. So there's always a little bit of give and take. But a friend a of mine, Daniel, am, oh, go ahead. Are you a Libra? I am a Libra. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think about balance all the time. It's not true. Oh, that's very at all. <laughs> funny. Uh, that yeah, I guess I guess it's true. I don't know. I never know how much to put into astrology, but that is a good point. I do think about balance a lot, and I am a Libra. I also want everyone to get along all the time. So you know. Same. Um maybe it's maybe it's that I read too many horoscopes when I was a kid. So um a good friend of mine, Daniel Fabricant, a great bass player in the Bay Area, told me this thing that kind of lined up with some of my own life philosophies, but he's like, there's kind of a tripod. Um, If you're a musician, you kind of want these three, like a stool with three legs and their performance, teaching and learning. So you should always be teaching, just, you know, explaining the stuff that you know to people who maybe don't know it. You should always be learning and like challenging yourself and taking on new things and learning. And you should always be performing, like taking what you do and like getting out there and really doing it and when you're in balance and you're doing all those things three things and some sort of a balance it feels good and i've definitely found it sounded good at the time but then the more i try to live it and the more i pay attention to my life the more um I can really notice if i if I'm finding a good balance and with strong songs and then I've been learning so many things and practicing a lot more and then writing music, it's really feeling like I'm honing in on that balance. So that to me is the dream job is like yeah. all of that stuff. Smart friend. I really like that take on
3: things. Yeah, I haven't. Heard Daniel's that before, a smart guy. Yeah, definitely. Kudos to Daniel on that. Um, so I think one of the things that comes into my mind is because I have I have I'm getting I'm approaching a 20 year history with music but I didn't start playing until I was 20. Um mm-hmm. just have like just probably like ankle deep weighted into the idea of music theory and stuff like that. But you do this full 360 view of these songs <laughs> and everything that you cover in this. And my question is what's your history with music? Why how are you what makes you such an expert? What makes you the expert that can talk to us about this? Because it's pretty incredible. And the best thing that you can do really nicely, I think, is is lay it out in more of a layman's term so someone who's not doesn't have this history can still understand what it is you're talking about, why this song makes them feel a certain way
0: yeah um well so my history with music is that i i wasn't playing like really young or anything i did take piano lessons as a kid and was very drawn to the piano so i was more interested in just playing stuff and figuring out melodies for myself Mm -hmm. than in actually learning all the stuff i wish i had taken piano more seriously as a kid only because i'm okay at piano but it'd be really cool to have just the really sort of basic technique that you can get if you do five six years of serious piano lessons as a kid but i didn't do that i did um i learned saxophone that was my first instrument actually it was this huge moment for me in like fifth grade in our music class there was a kid who already played alto saxophone which was unusual most of us we learned recorder and then we would sing and play maybe play some piano but he had a saxophone and he brought it in and played it for all the other kids and I remembered seeing him play and thinking that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life I want to play that (laughs) instrument and it's funny because like I didn't I could have seen an electric guitar. Like, there were way cooler instruments. This was the early '90s. Like there were much cooler instruments than the saxophone. But to me, it was the coolest thing ever. And I really wanted to be in band and I wanted to learn saxophone, so I did. And I started in seventh grade. And I went to a public school in Indiana that was a fantastic music program. The okay. school was like, okay, it wasn't like an amazing school in some ways, but the band program was amazing. My band director, a wonderful woman named Janice Stockhouse, I actually interviewed her on Strong Songs on a bonus episode last oh, year. Nice. And that was really cool just because she was a huge part of me growing up and just my musical sort of awakening. Yeah. And... I was in um, Bloomington, Indiana, which is where the university is, uh, Indiana University, which is a really good music school, like one of the top music schools in the country. And so I was always kind of going onto campus and going to concerts. They'd have a lot of clinics and a lot of summer camp things. So I had a lot of opportunities to study with private teachers from the university to sort of see artists as they came through. And I was learning jazz this whole time. I was like, there's a big jazz program at IU. David Baker like started this incredible program there. So... I was really early on going to summer camps and, and going to the university. And eventually I was taking classes at the university while I was in high school. So I was able to learn a lot of theory, a lot of jazz theory and just harmony, because you kind of have to do that. And a lot of those programs are pretty all encompassing. You know, you do improv, you do technique, you have a master class on your instrument and you just go to theory class. And they just explain to you, OK, this is what a two-five-one is. This is how a half diminished <laughs> chord works. These are the scales you play. And you just start, you have to learn that stuff. And for me, anyway, learning theory was um, a very practical pursuit, because mm-hmm. if you're going to play jazz or any modern improvised music, you need those tools. You need to know what scales to play, like chord scale relationships, which is to say when the you know piano player is playing a C half diminished chord, you know which scale to play over that. You know, you're like that is just an important useful thing for you as a musician yeah. so you yeah. have you have a real incentive to learn it where sometimes if you're just playing in an ensemble and you're not improvising you're just reading the music on the page it feels a little more abstract it's like i don't know why i need to know what chords we're playing in the band so it was True. always a practical thing okay. and then i just you know obviously I, I went and majored in music at a major um, jazz program at the university of miami in Florida. Which was just, I mean, that was like so off to the races that my whole life became music at that point. And I was gigging and playing and taking all kinds of classes and arranging and theory and um, then graduated and then just had a lot of knowledge. You know, I didn't get a master's or anything like that. I know there are people who have way more knowledge than me in theory. And it's funny you describe me as an expert, but I feel like I, you know, I know a lot about theory, but there are people who know way, way more, especially if they studied music theory or majored in theory or did a lot of orchestration and learned a lot of classical theory. Like that's some of that stuff eludes me. And there's levels, right? Like to me, you might be an expert to someone
3: like my girlfriend, I'm an expert.
0: Right, Right. it's all relative.
3: There's people way beyond you. So it's just this relative stance. I think one of the there's so many things I think back to over the last couple of months as I've been just kind of going through your catalog of podcasts that I just felt like I related to and I can't remember which one it was. It might have been the first one. I don't know which one for sure. Maybe, you know, but you said something along the lines of um, there's a way to just listen to music when I'll just like put on my headphones and I'll just go walk around. I'll just go for a walk around my town. And I'm in my own little world. I'm just listening to these songs. There's all this stuff going around me, but it doesn't really matter because I'm just here with this song right now. And that's, I've had my dog for 10 years and that's what I would do is I would throw on headphones. I've been living in Denver for like the last five years. So her and I would just go for a nice long, like three, four mile walk through all these different neighborhoods, through parks and stuff. There'd be all this stuff going on, but I would just be like, I'm gonna listen to this album front to back while I'm on this walk today. And so I resonated with you on that, but Since I've been listening to your show, I've been listening to music in a different way. And it's picking Mm -hmm. up on these subtle nuances that I don't think I'm now listening for things because I'm like, if he does this song, I want (laughs) to know layer by layer so that he doesn't shock me with something.
0: And it's like challenging me (laughs) to listen
3: to music in a different way. And I'm wondering if you've been listening to music in any other way since you've started doing it.
0: Oh man! First of all, that's awesome. I like that makes me really happy. <laughs> Whenever people are like say they listen to music differently because of the show, that like what what better gift is there, right? Than listening exactly. to music closely? <laughs> like I I think the best thing I got from my musical education, as much as it was like learning how to play instruments and stuff, was how to listen to music. I even when there was this long period of time where I wasn't making music, I would always. Whenever I listened to music, it was all there, you know, the music was still in me and still in my head and I could hear all these things and that was such a special thing, that um, that to me has always been sort of the best thing. So yeah, I listen to music differently because of strong songs. Um, They're totally. I always kind of have my antenna out, you know, I, I'm in a listening club now with some friends, just a, a few friends and we take turns recommending an album each day. And then we all listen to the whole album. And it's a bunch of different musicians. We're kind of all spread around the country now. That's really cool. But it's a really, it is really cool. And actually, I recommend you or anybody listening to this, if you have even just one friend, it was actually just a buddy of mine, a drummer buddy named Russ. He and I started this club. It was his idea. At first, we were kind of just texting, sent each other album recommendations. And then eventually he's like, hey, do you want to kind of formalize this and just do this every day and commit to it? And I was like, yeah. yeah. And then we kind of added <laughs> a couple friends. And it's been a it's been a way for me to listen to more new music than I have in ages. Like I I'm sure you do this. Everyone does this where you just have your favorite albums you listen to and you kind yeah. of you've listened to them so many times. You get and maybe stuck, you get, get caught on a things. loop. It's so and mm-hmm. like
3: the a a lot of the places that we find music are, you know, they're they put us there because they're like, you listen to this mm-hmm. and you'll like this, and then it mm-hmm. all like kind of circles back. So you've mm-hmm. got to really go out and reach for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, having someone else doing the reaching is a very valuable thing I've found. Um, There are just so many (laughs) artists. One guy in our group is really into like 1920s jazz and West African pop from the 60s so he just picks... (laughs) That's really consistently what he picks. And it's a lot of stuff that I've never listened to. And I find myself thinking, okay, well, this morning on my walk, the next 45 minutes, I'm going to be listening to this album by this artist I've never heard of. And it's really broadened my horizons. So yeah, I always have my antenna on. I'm always kind of paying attention. Could this be a strong song? Do I hear something, you know, there? And then a lot of times also, I'll pick songs where, like, Stairway to Heaven is a good example. Or Paranoid Android is actually a good example. Let's go with that one since I know you listened to that episode. Mm I wanted to do Radiohead, I knew I was probably going to do Paranoid Android. But I listened to all of OK Computer thinking, OK, there's probably something on this album. I'm guessing it's Paranoid Android, but we'll see. And when Paranoid Android came on, I hadn't listened to it in a long time. And, you know, I knew it. I could like hum the guitar riff and like I knew the melody. But I hadn't done the thing of sitting and listening thinking, OK, if I need to fill 55 minutes of podcast space talking about this, what do I hear? Mm -hmm. And then realizing halfway through like, oh, Lord, there's so much in this that I can talk about. And like by the end, you know, then wanting to listen to it over and over again. So, yeah, yeah, I I think making the show has certainly um, enhanced my own listening, like, chops and my own way of listening.
3: Well, I'm kind of curious now because you talked a little bit about your um, history with um, video games and working for that company and actually doing a video game podcast. But you've now cross-pollinated. A recent Mm -hmm. episode, you came out and did um, World One of Super Mario Brothers, which was phenomenal. Oh, thanks. But and if I got any of this wrong, you can correct me, but I'm, I was going based on memory because um, I didn't have time to go back and re-listen to what you said. But um, as a listener, you learn of the limitations put on composers in that time because of the size of the file within the game. Now games seem to have mass budgets for their sound, almost like a film. Where do you see the
0: future of video game music going? That's a good question. Um, I, you know... I'd have a better answer, I think, if I made video game music. I've listened to a lot of mu- video game music and thought about it a lot. And yeah, you know, I. World, so I did World 1 1. That was Koji Kondo, the great Koji Kondo who wrote, you know, the Legend of Zelda theme and the Mario music. I mean, he's a legend. He's literally um, a legend.
3: It's insane. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for more Song Facts podcast right after this.
0: He is, he's like, he's still around, still composing incredible music. Um, one of my favorite video game composers. And I do think the limitations uh, were a significant part of why the music sounds the way that it does. Like composing mm-hmm. with limitations is always helpful, I find and um it's certainly true for those composers i think that music is it's really hooky in a certain way it gets stuck in your head because it loops over and over again because there isn't that much of it because they didn't have that much space yeah they only had kind of four voice three voices really like two square waves and a triangle on the nes so you kind of have three voices to work with in a noise channel that can kind of be drums and that's it yeah and forcing yourself into those restraints is really good i always think about you know the It's the the common critique of the Star Wars prequels versus the Star Wars original trilogy, (laughs) where the original trilogy was this disaster on the set, and it was so hard to make, and everything was falling apart. They barely made stuff work, and it came out amazing. And then the prequel, they had infinite supplies and infinite money and resources, and they're kind of this weird, self-indulgent mess. So sometimes the restriction leads to you making something more special. And I think that's true there, too. You know... I think that there, there's definitely a school of video game soundtrack composing now. Guys like uh, Jake Kaufman, uh, Vert, he composes on an, an NES. Chipsil also, uh, Nia of uh, Houston, is that her last name? Uh, Chipsil is how I think of her. She also composes using a Game Boy. So they'll actually use the old chipsets, like the old sound modules on the consoles to make yeah. the music. I think because they like the restraints and they like trying to channel that style, which is sort of similar to like, you know, analog recording or something like not using a full Pro Tools rig and and the way Jack White will like record a record using old weird microphones because he wants it to get that sound, same Mm -hmm. sort of idea. Um, I think that a lot of AAA video game music by which is like, you know, the big super budget stuff all kind of starts to sound the same. I think there's actually a lot of just, Boring music. I think there are a bunch of amazing composers yeah. making music that is just sort of boring because there's just a, a unified sound, you know, big wubs and like really strong drops and like mixes of synths and and orchestras and a lot of orchestra samples. And you'll hear someone like Austin Wintry is a good example of a video game composer. He did the music for that game Journey, which is like one of the greatest video game soundtracks ever. write something that's like, you know, the Journey soundtrack really strongly features a cello soloist, Tina Guo, and suddenly you have this solo instrument being played by an actual human being and it stands out in such such a cool way that there's still a lot of room, I think, for people to go and stand out Even though the backdrop has become a little bit more generic in the way that kind of a lot of TV music is sort of generic, you know, like just watching Law and Order or whatever. It just kind of sounds like it's fine, but it, it, you know, you, you can guess that the musicians writing could probably make way more interesting music if they were being incentivized to do it. What does it make? It makes me think of uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where he's just
3: like really bored writing that music behind the scenes. When he says
0: they're just ominous tones. God, I love that movie. Um, (laughs) I feel I resonate so hard with that guy who's like (laughs) sitting around and writing ominous tones for a TV show when he's dreaming of writing his Dracula Muppet like (laughs) musical. (laughs) That's such a great movie. Perfect. What's the um, do you have any desire to try and score a video game if someone came to you was like, hey, I've got this. Would you want to tackle that project? maybe it would depend on the project i've thought about it and i'm not sure like that's the dream project that you know i've got a bunch of my own stuff that i'm working on and Mm -hmm. like i want to do something that is on stage like you know something that will be a performance and the challenge with video game music is that it just kind of isn't that there are a lot of bands that perform video game music but it's a different kind of work i think it would be really fun though given the right project for sure like if there was someone who was making a game that I was really into then I'd consider it but in terms of like journeyman video game music composition that's not really like what I want to do only because it's a variety of reasons also like the, the whole video game world it's cool I still do a video game podcast like I really like games they're fascinating to talk about but the culture and the world of video games just isn't the main thing for me and I'm I'm less in it now than I have been in a long time and I really yeah. like that speaking of balance I think it's like important to just have that be a small part of my life and if I started doing more video game music I just start to become more and more of a video game person again and I don't know that's not I don't totally want that good for you for
3: sticking to that through a you know whatever we're in five or six months of quarantine too because I think a lot of people <laughs> might have gone the other direction I am yeah. curious and that you don't have to share this if you don't want to but it was a question that I've had because I've had a lot of ideas, listening to your podcast of how this whole thing is put together. And if you don't want to give us the secret sauce, you don't have to, but you don't, and don't go into too much detail, but wh- what's the process for find, for finding the song, analyzing the song and then p- producing the podcast?
0: Oh man, I'm happy to share the secret sauce. It's not that secret. And to give
3: everyone like a little bit of a visualization. I'm, I'm on a Zoom call with Kirk right now and behind him, there are I believe I can see six <laughs> guitars just in my visual. There's a piano. There's a bunch of boom microphones. He's set up so he can make almost yes. any sound, but he does have limitations, almost like the Mario guy.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. I do, and I'm I'm only good at a few of these instruments. <laughs> the saxophones <laughs> back there are the main ones, but uh, yeah. So what's the process? Um, I I have a list, a big list, a couple of lists. I keep lots of lists, um, and I have a list that's just the year. So it's every episode that's going to come out. The show comes out every other week. And so I've kind of, and then I'll just, I'll then below that is like a big list of all the songs I want to do. Um, then I look at the balance. I really try to make sure that it's sort of representing a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different kinds of music. I don't want to do one thing for too long. You know, it's really easy to fall into bad habits. Like I could just do classic rock, you know, just talk about basically like white guys playing rock music in the 1970s. Easy. And like, easy, that could just be two years of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And there's so many other kinds of music that I want to talk about. Or for another, another example, I really love talking about jazz and people like that because that's something I can kind of give them. An inroad to, but I don't want to do jazz every week because, as much as I know some people like that, I think jazz is kind of not an ultra popular kind of music, and there are totally people who will see, oh, it's like an art in the Jazz Messenger's tuner, and to skip yeah. this one. So, you gotta, it's all about the balance. So, I'll look at that list, the big list, and then kind of break it down, list things out. I can call an audible at various points, but I have the rest of the year pretty charted out. Yeah. Um, then. I know what I'm working on, you know, the next two weeks, the next three weeks. So I'll kind of start listening to the song in advance. There's kind of just a process of listening to it, thinking about it, taking some maybe preliminary notes. Then I'll sit down at the piano with just the recording and just learn the song. So that's just what's the chord progression, what's going on, what's happening here. And as I do that, I tend to have a lot of thoughts of like, oh, oh, you know, like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize yeah. they're like, that's not actually the six minor. Like they're going to whatever. Like a, So you're you know, figuring it out by ear, though yeah you I mean using the piano but yeah by ear I almost never look at sheet music online there are some times where I will where I'm just like I wonder what the internet thinks of this chord that to me like um on God Only Knows I did an episode on the Beach Boys God Only Knows which is a really harmonically dense song yeah where I was like I wonder if people call this it was like is it a C minor chord or is it an A half diminished I think or an A diminished (laughs) anyways it was this like I was like I wonder what people hear and I went and looked on the internet so I'll check that kind of thing but no mostly I sit at the piano learn the song um, figure out what you know what, uh, what I think is interesting take a few notes sometimes I'll chart the song out if it's like a weird form or I need help remembering it and then um, I make the episode, so I will sit down, I use Logic, I have a recording studio here that um, is pretty, at this point, pretty set to make strong songs, and as much as I have all these instruments, I'll use them sometimes, but I also do a lot of stuff with samples, just because it's a lot easier when you're yeah. podcasting to, like, I have a drum set set up, but if I'm going to, it's just so much easier to use, like, contact drums that they yep. sound great, and <laughs> it's just easier to mess with in post, so I do a lot of stuff just with, with uh, MIDI. And um, then I'll start recording. So record the song in first because I cut the song up and use examples of the recording. While I'm doing that, I kind of take notes just in a little notepad piece of paper that kind of loosely outlines the episode. It's usually pretty short, though, and then has the sort of vital stats up top. Who composed it? What are their names? pronunciation that's a big thing i have to go and look up you know how do you pronounce it was eva noblazada the singer in Hades Town, uh, who played wow. uh eurydice it's just things like you'll look at her name and it's spelled eva and i'll be like is it Ava noblazada or eva noblazada <laughs> so you have to go on the internet and look at these things you did abba um, I, too
3: and i know those names were tough
0: oh yeah i think i only said those at the very beginning and then i was using people's first names yeah Ava was tricky um I, had, I did an episode on um, Satisfied from Hamilton and had originally recorded Lin-Manuel Miranda's name as Lin-Manuel Miranda, Lin-Manuel, Ooh. which is just incorrect. It's like a really common, I think, incorrect pronunciation. But then I Googled it. And of course, there's a YouTube video that's just how to pronounce Lin-Manuel Miranda. And it's him Amazing. saying, yeah, he's like, everybody says Lin-Manuel, but it's Lin-Manuel. And I, so I had to go back and like fix every pronunciation or uh, Neil Peart, the drummer yeah. for Rush. I thought it was Neil Pert because everyone thinks it's Neil Pert, but it's Puret, so I had to fix that. Anyways, that's just a little thing that I have to check. <laughs> and then I just make the episode and it's I kinda wing it. Um I, you know, I know what I'm gonna hit, but I just start talking and just see what happens, and then I'll stop whenever I make a mistake or need to do an overdub or realize I could say something better. Um then as I go, I'll think, you know, what am I doing? You know, how what am I saying here? Okay, could I say it more concisely? And I, you know, wind up kind of chopping up and going back and overdubbing and in and you know, sticking stuff in. Then I get to about an hour, finish the episode, and bounce it down, and then spend a few days listening back. So my walks will stop being listening to new albums; it'll be listening to the new episode. So I'll just go on a walk, and I just take notes on my phone as I listen. Oh, you screwed up that transition. Oh, there's like a thing, weird thing here. Oh, you said this, but I don't think that's right. I always write down whenever I say a fact. This is a thing I learned being a journalist for a while: is that anytime I'll say, "So and so wrote this this year," or you know, "So and so." gave credit to this person for the idea for this i'll make a note that's just like double check that fact because yep. you have to check all your facts i'm sure i still get things wrong in
3: very smart though that's really um just to, i mean the depth that you go to just to make sure that you're right on all these things and i gotta yeah. say your name recall just sitting here talking to you and you can bring up all these uh, gaming composers and stuff like that. Like your name recall is just really sharp. So that's amazing.
0: <laughs> it's funny. Cause I feel like my memories become terrible as I get older, <laughs> but I guess I can remember these things. So that's, that's good to hear. So yeah, once I've done that, then I'm pretty much finished. And, uh, the episode, I keep listen to it a few more times on a couple more days and, and kind of fine tune it. That's the fun part when yeah. it's mostly done and it's all just tweaking and, and adjusting. And then it just sort of takes shape in that long process. So it's not really scripted. There's not a lot of, you know, there's not a big script that I edit. It's very just on the fly and that works for me. So, yeah. Um, so another thing that you do is a handful
3: of Q and A with the audience. And I feel like mm. you get a lot of questions and I, do. <laughs> I bet you like that and maybe it gets a little overwhelming. I don't know. That's probably, that's your call Maybe your email, your, your inbox is just completely flooded. But I've always just kind of been curious. What's been the most requested song? Is it Freebird?
0: <laughs> oh, man. No, you know, what's really str- so Um, a couple of str- big requests that I get. People don't really request Freebird. I guess th- I just had a question about that. The one question was, is Freebird good? And my answer was, yes. <laughs> and then I kept going. Because I'm like, well, if I'm really going to answer that, I would do an episode on Freebird. Can't but I'm, I can't imagine you saying no. <laughs> no, and Freebird is fine. Like, I'm not going to probably do a strong songs on it. Um, people request, let's see, there are a lot. There are some pretty commonly requested songs. Um, I have a big Australian listenership, and people really want me to do something by an Australian band. In Excess, maybe, or John Farnham's You're the Voice. <laughs> that is going to happen. So okay. <laughs> they will uh, any Australian listeners, that'll happen. Um, <laughs> a lot of people want Peter Gabriel, um, and that also is going to happen. And, you know, other big artists that I haven't done yet, Bowie, uh, The Beatles. I haven't done a Beatles song, but I am planning one. Yeah. So uh, that'll happen, too. And Kate Bush, actually. A lot of people will write in and say, can you do some Kate Bush! <laughs> an artist that didn't really catch on in america the way that i think she did in the uk and elsewhere and um she's great i totally want to talk about kate bush on the show sometime so she i get a lot of requests for her too
3: but a lot of fun just to kind of have this freedom to be able to to just kind of like get led in that direction and just be like you mm-hmm. know these guys kind of want to hear this it's not something mm-hmm. that i might have thought of but yeah let's go through the catalog and find one and, and do one
0: Yeah, there have totally been songs that I've kind of done because people wrote in and requested them. I'm actually trying to think what they are and and I'm coming up dry, but I know there are a few where people have just kept saying, please, please do the song. I guess Jeff Buckley was one where I kept mentioning Buckley, and I knew I'd do him eventually because he's one of my favorite musicians. But mm-hmm. then people kept being like, oh, man, please do a Jeff Buckley song. And I was like, I'll bump this up, and I guess we'll just do Jeff Buckley for the people. Just pleading with you. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. They do. They, the people People sometimes get very impassioned. Sometimes it's like, please do this band that you're probably never going to do. <laughs> I'm like, eh, no, I'm not really going to. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, so I'm um, going to
3: gonna shuffle into these uh big three questions i think you've had a chance to peruse them and it Mm -hmm. might be tough for you you've got a very large database of music in that head of yours so this (laughs) i imagine that this might be i'm curious but uh what's the one band if you had to listen to the rest of your life
0: and only that one which one would it be so i wonder if this is cheating but can i say like an artist instead of a band like an artist who had a lot of different bands perfect okay so i think i would just have to go with miles davis feels a little like cheating because he was at the vanguard of so many kinds of music and had so many different bands like he played in everything for decades and decades but I so I think that I he's like a safe pick because he's in so many great bands he's on so many classic records everything from acid jazz to bebop to cool jazz to you know whatever post-bop stuff in the 80s and you can hear almost every jazz artist if you just listen to Miles Davis because everybody played with him at some point. So it's kind of a way. It's kind of a cheat, I guess. I don't that think I so. I think Davis. it's actually really smart because why not pick the largest
3: catalog that's still right. within your interest? Because you know, if you pick the
0: one hit wonder from the nineties, you're just like. <laughs> right i'm just right. cycling here and <laughs> like spin doctors were a great band but you yeah. can only listen to pocket full tonight <laughs> <laughs> so many times on the desert island before you kind of lose exactly. it exactly <laughs> um okay so great pick i really like that one i think
3: you're the first person that's dabbled in jazz so good mm. for you for taking us. think there. that
0: would be it just because it's just so interesting and you always hear new things and there's so much of it
3: yeah definitely and you know it's um it's it's really complex there's and like you said there's just like what he was doing with blue versus what he was doing in the 50s and what he was doing mm-hmm. in the late 70s it's just like this yep. is the same person it's just that's mm-hmm. that's I, re- I really like that idea um so if you what is one song that you wish you would have written
0: oh a song that i wish that i would have written um let's think oh graceland by paul simon that's okay. like a perfect song <laughs> That song Album, really. me out. <laughs>
2: The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. I am following the river down the highway through the cradle of the Civil War. I'm on the Graceland, a Graceland, the Memphis, Tennessee. I'm on Graceland.
0: Yeah, I mean that album. I might, yeah, if I ever do an album-focused thing on Strong Songs, which I may at some point, I'll probably talk about that album. That album is close to perfect. Um, that song, I would say, like, I, it's it's so good. There are just, I, can, I, can, I don't know what his process was like for writing it. He's talked some about the recording, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But just for coming up with that melody and that groove and that song, that arrangement, that sound. I, there are just times when you're writing music and it just comes to you. And there's just a song and it's like you discovered it. And sometimes then you realize that that was somebody else's song and you just accidentally like stole someone's <laughs> song, but sometimes it's just there. And it's just, it was all the things in your head that then came together to form something new. And that song feels that way to me when I hear it, it just is, it's so good. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Graceland by Paul Simon.
3: Okay. Really good answer too. Um, okay. Third one. You haven't heard this one or read it yet. Okay. Um, Cause I just came up with it. And I, um, what has been one of the biggest
0: lessons you've learned since
3: starting strong songs?
0: Oh boy. Let's think. What is the biggest lesson that I've learned since starting strong songs? Um, I think it's, I think it's how many people want more music in their life and all the different things that that can, all the ways that that can manifest. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. I, you know, I've I've always been a very musical person and, and a musician, and that was just a huge part of my life. But I hear from so many different kinds of people. Like, people write in who are really serious, amazing musicians and professionals, and people write in who don't play music at all yeah. and are like, I don't know what you're talking about half the time, <laughs> but I still like the show because because of how much you like the music and just because I'm still hearing new things and you're kind of explaining interesting things to me anyways – and that has been a pretty profound impact on me. I I always try to make stuff accessible. Like, I, I think people describe Strong Songs now as, oh, it's like this, it's this show, you described it this way, which is very nice of you to say, like that it's a show that you can listen to whatever your music theory knowledge. It's not yeah. just hardcore theory to sound impressive. It's like kind of welcoming people in. Yep. And that's true. And the show has become more that, I think. I think now it's kind of got this, It's in this weird zone that's in this kind of gray space between being a hardcore music theory podcast and like an accessible music explainer. And that I think I didn't set out to make that exactly like I've always tried to make stuff accessible. It was the same with video game writing. I tried to write about games in a way that people who didn't play a ton of games would still think was interesting. Like I just like that kind of writing. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely become more that way as I go just because of all the people that I hear from. Who are just from every type of musical background, people who don't play at all, people who played a little bit, people who've lapsed, so many people who have used to play an instrument and now are telling me they're like listening to the show has got me like practicing bass again or I got my guitar back out or my saxophone and I've been practicing. And like that is a it has a really had a really profound effect on me and has made me realize how special it is to be able to, or to try at least, to talk to so many different kinds of people. And that everyone wants more music in their life, like yep. everybody, because music is such a universal and a wonderful thing. Is that so too I cheesy of an answer? You, <laughs> I don't think
3: so at all. And what I just thought of too, and probably you've thought of this already, but your your friend, Chris, I think was the name, who gave you the, the, the pillars of stability. The oh, stools. Daniel, that was Daniel. Daniel who yes. gave you the pillars of balance. You're doing all three of them in your show. You're learning the new song you're mm. teaching it to other people and you're also somewhat performing it for other that's people. a
0: good point i hadn't really thought about that but that <laughs> I mean, is uh, that is true yeah
3: what a cool like huh. you're just like daniel
0: i nailed it <laughs> you got it that's that's done. really funny i hadn't thought about it that way but the show is kind of a mix of all three things and uh maybe that's the balance that i'm going for that's i mean really i think cool. that's
3: one of the things that draws people in especially i would say that it probably draws people in for someone who doesn't have any sort of way of playing an instrument at all playing making any sort of music besides maybe doing a little bit whistle by the way you're an incredible whistler it's insane oh thanks (laughs) um but the uh the if you you look at someone who's just like literally like playing this melody that they've heard over and over again for years and years and you're just like sampling it out on a piano and just playing it making them hear it in a different way if it's been played on a guitar the whole time they've only heard it played this one way you're just like no like here it is on a piano just like it's this it's this scale and it just makes you think about music in a completely different way and so I really think that you are just giving these people something that they didn't know and I've, I've had this thought with me because podcasts have become such a big part of my life I listen to so many podcasts and it yeah, has same. <laughs> taken if I if, if in twenty if in 2010 when I was still not really listening to podcasts and I was still listening to a ton of music, I was like in my free time, when I would be listening to music, it'd be 90, 90% music, like 10% just like random thought. Now it's like 70% music, Hmm. 20 or Mm no 70% podcast, 20% music, and then 10% random thought. And I, I just, I'm like, am I feeling guilty? for starting another podcast and not like having people actually listen to more music. I mean, I try to mix in as much music as I can into these episodes. And I think you kind of do the same thing, but I, you, your podcast encourages me to go listen to more music. I hope that when people are listening to this, they'll listen to the people that I'm talking to and they'll go out and listen to those catalogs and they'll find other music that's familiar to them and that they enjoy and they'll listen to more but you also got it from listening to not music. So you, it goes back to the
0: Libra. It goes back to the balance thing. Yeah, it's all about balance, <laughs> right? I mean, I think that more music and more listening in the world is a good thing. This is this work, doing, making strong songs, is definitely the most sort of uh, feeling of doing something that matters in the world that I've had since I was a teacher. That same feeling of like, okay, you know, I'm not curing hunger, but I am at least creating more music in the world and helping people experience music. And to me, at least on a really profound level, music is like the most important thing or one of the most fundamental things that like unites us as humans. And it's so important that we keep that going and that we like share that together because that keeps us all, whatever it like keeps us spinning in our cultural world or something. So I, yeah, I think that it's like, uh, you don't always listen to music, To get more music sometimes you have to talk about music and then sometimes you have to not do anything related to music at all and then come back to it you know you have like fresh ears is a thing uh so it's not like the ideal life is listening to music 24 hours a day right like it's it's fine to to have things away from it especially if it's encouraging you to sort of like enhance your appreciation for the music that when you do listen to it like i think that's that's great like that it is another one of those types of balance that you can strive for
3: Yeah. Well, we had talked um, before we started recording that you were going to um, send me a song that we are going to end this episode with. And I think we we have um, figured out which one it's going to be, but I'll let you introduce it and just kind of give us a little
0: bit of background on it. And then we'll let that take us out of the episode. Sure. So this is an arrangement I did last fall. Of the theme music from, I believe this game is from like 1989 or 1990 maybe, 91. Anyways, from an early 90s video game, uh, The Secret of Monkey Island, which (laughs) was one of my favorite games growing up. And I loved the music to this game. You could put on the CD, like it came on a CD-ROM but if you put the CD-ROM in your CD player it would just play the soundtrack and the first track that plays is the opening main theme and it's so dramatic and beautiful and this game is like, kind of a like knockdown comedy, it's like a really goofy slapstick video game <laughs> but the main music was so dramatic and it always made me think like, oh we're in for a, an adventure, you know, in the, in the Caribbean and uh, I just loved this music, I've always loved it and I like to do that sometimes, just do these multi-instrumental arrangements of um, video Game music. I did one of Undertale. I'm gonna do another one at some point here. I'm kind of working on. And this was originally composed by Michael Land, who is a great video game composer. And so this is me playing a whole bunch of different instruments on uh, on the Secret of Monkey Island theme song.
3: Big big thank you to Kirk Hamilton of the Strong Songs podcast. I really cannot recommend this enough. If you love music and you love breaking down music and just getting a better idea of how the songs were developed. He does such an amazing job of that. So thank you to Kirk. As always, for the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Guys, enjoy this song. It's really well done. And check out this guy's whistling. Incredible.